Now, last year, Claire and I had the privilege of spending a few weeks in Canada, and we saw some amazing things, including some bears. And some of them, some of them got up really, really close, which was a little bit scary. There should be a picture now coming up. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> you can see Claire's bear was a little bit more friendly than mine. Mine was a little bit scary. One of the other things we decided to do was not just go bear hunting, but we also decided we'd go horse riding. Now, I'd never been horse riding. I'd only ridden a horse once in my life for a few minutes, which wasn't a great success. So we thought we'd have another go. We were going to Canada. We checked out what was available over there, and we signed up online, had this massive big booking, like online booking process to go through, all these rules and regulations and warnings that we had to read through, and then basically sign our lives away, basically saying we wouldn't sue the guy if we died and all of that kind of stuff. It's basically the ranch owner's way of warning us that if anything went wrong while we were horse riding over there, that we wouldn't blame him, we wouldn't sue him. But he didn't just leave it at that. When we finally got there, we arrived at the ranch this, on this particular morning. He spent a whole lot of time talking us through all of the rules and regulations, what to do, what, to, what not to do, how to control the horse, how to stop the horse, how to steer the horse, all this kind of stuff, and warning us of some of the potential dangers, because the ride was mostly fairly flat, but there were some bits which he said were going to be a little bit tricky, which we might need to be careful of. And then he gave us some lessons into how, in how to handle the horses, and how to steer them, and, and most importantly, how to bring them to a halt. And I was really glad that he did that. You can see me with my amazing cowboy boots. They're not mine. We got to, we got to, have to, we had to wear those as part of the deal. And uh, he... he, he uh, trained us and showed us how to do it, went around the, around the yard a few times and just kind of made sure we were able to handle the horses okay. And there were some parts that as we then went out on the ride, which lasted for a few hours and we were trekking out in kind of single file, as we were going it was, it was okay, it was, it was fine, and then we got to some parts which were really, really quite scary. And kind of coming back on the way back, there was one bit which was a, a really steep ravine, and I'm not kidding, it was really, really terrifying. And there were, the path was just wide enough for the horse. And on one side, there was this incredibly steep drop down into this ravine. This is, the, this is the ravine. And literally, it was wide enough for a horse's hooves and nothing else. And as I'm stood on, and I'm terrified of heights, absolutely terrified of heights. As we're going along, I'm doing all I can to keep trying to pull the horse's head this way. Just anything from that edge, it was terrifying. I was absolutely terrified. One slip from my horse, I knew that if, if, kind of, if, if, if one leg went, I was going to go tumbling down there. And I'm not exaggerating, it really, really was terrifying. And I was kind of sweating away, and I was really glad to get back to the ranch and just kind of relax and think, oh, thank goodness that is over. It was great, it was good fun, but it was truly terrifying. Was it worth it? Was it worth the, the terror, the, the horror, the, the kind of stress of it? Was the enjoyment and experience of horse riding in the Canadian Rockies, was it really worth the terror that went with it? I think so. Just, just about. I think it was just about worth it. There's Claire and I. They, they got the two biggest, oldest, fattest horses they could find that were the least likely to kind of bolt off for Claire and I. And there we were, kind of enjoying um, Canada on our horses. You know, when you're setting out on something that's potentially dangerous, it's good to know the risk, isn't it? That's why we read the uh, side effects labels. If you, buy some, if you get medication, you read the side effects labels. Man, if you do that, you'd never take them because it, basically you could die of anything when you read them through. But it's good to know you're, you're, making, an out, you're making a choice, aren't you? An, an informed choice. Do the risks outweigh the, the benefits or you know, vice versa? Now, Jesus repeatedly warned his disciples that believing in him and following him would be potentially very dangerous. 
whilst some of the warnings that he gave were specific to the disciples that he spoke to, actually Jesus also intended those warnings to be read by all those who throughout history would put their faith and trust in Jesus. The night before Jesus was crucified on the cross to take the punishment for our sins, Jesus sat his disciples down and he warned them bluntly about uh, what they were going to have to face in the days and weeks and months ahead in their lives. Jesus was about to be arrested, he was about to be crucified and put to death in a mock trial, but he wanted to warn his followers that things were also going to be really dangerous for them as well. And here at Regent, on a Sunday morning, we're working our way through John's gospel, John's account of the life of Jesus. And John was one of these disciples that Jesus sat down the night before he died and gave this warning to. So today we're looking at John chapter 15. We're going to read from verse 18 through to to verse 4, or the first part of verse 4 of chapter 16. So if you've got a Bible with you and you want to turn with me, you can do that. Otherwise, you can just listen as I read the verses to you. So this is literally a few hours before Jesus is arrested and before he's crucified. And he's talking to his friends, talking to the disciples. He's preparing them for what lies ahead. He's warning them of the risks of following him. And this is what he says in verse 18 of John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. So Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it, that it hated me first. Now, that's not a very catchy advertising slogan, is it? If Jesus was employing a marketing agency to get people to follow him, that wouldn't be probably the strap line and the kind of advertising line they would use. Follow me and everybody will hate you. That's not kind of really going to grab many people, is it? But actually, Jesus said this kind of stuff a lot. He warned people that following him, surrendering their lives to him, really could be quite dangerous and could be really costly. Making Jesus the king of their lives could potentially lose their lives for them. Jesus was basically saying that although lots of people will surrender their lives to him and put their faith and trust in him, the world as a whole will hate him and will reject him. He says this in verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as, it, as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus, the Bible says, is the king who has come from heaven. And those who accept him become part of his kingdom. Whilst those who continue to reject him and are outside of his kingdom, they are in what the Bible calls and what Jesus calls the world. The world is how Jesus refers to everyone and everything that seeks to live and wants to live independently of God. 
The Bible also refers to the world as the kingdom of darkness, and it says that those who surrender their lives to Jesus move from being in the world or in the kingdom of darkness into Jesus' kingdom. The Bible says this, for he, that's God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, and that's when we trust in him. So the world, this kingdom of darkness began when Satan tempted Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden, and ever since then, People have lived or wanted and tried to live independently of God, trying to live their way instead of living the way that God wants them to live. It's what the Bible calls sin. And Jesus calls every single human being on the planet, every single one of us in this room today, to surrender to him as king and enter his kingdom and leave the world behind him, the world that rejects him. But when people surrender to Jesus as their king and when they enter his kingdom so that he's in charge of their lives, those who are still outside of his kingdom in what Jesus calls the world, often those people then become hostile to those who've surrendered to Jesus as king. And they can even begin physically persecuting them. In some cases, this, this hostility to Jesus and to those who love him and follow him can end up with government seeking to make it illegal even to follow Jesus and even trying to ban the very idea of God from their society. In countries like North Korea, for instance, it's illegal to be a believer in Jesus. And if you are discovered as a, as a believer and a follower of Jesus, you will be arrested, you'll be shipped off to a labor camp, and you'll be worked until you die. More than 360 million believers in Jesus this morning worldwide are experiencing violent persecution because they love Jesus right now this morning. The top 10 most dangerous countries to be a believer in Jesus are these, North Korea, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Libya, Sudan, Yemen, Somalia, and Nigeria. But there are many other countries which are maybe not just as quite as dangerous as these, but are still very dangerous, including China and Turkey, where it's very dangerous and it's really difficult at times to follow Jesus. And sadly, there are thousands of believers in Jesus that are murdered every year for their faith, and many more are imprisoned right now this morning. And when Jesus said these words to his disciples the night before he was crucified, he was trying to prepare them and all those who throughout history have put their faith and trusted in, in, in Jesus, he was trying to prepare them for what lay ahead. He's basically saying, look, this is not always going to be easy. If you follow me, you will face persecution. Be ready for this. In countries like the UK, we, you know, believers in Jesus might not face open persecution in the way they face and, and experience in other countries, but they can still find themselves kind of... Uh, locked out of conversations or frozen out of conversations at work or mocked by their families and find themselves really isolated. And it's certainly increasingly difficult in the UK today to be an active follower of Jesus and to live and do and say the things that Jesus wants us to say without facing real opposition, sometimes real problems in the workplace. But we shouldn't be surprised if and when we face persecution and if and when we face opposition. It shouldn't take us by surprise, and that's the whole point of what Jesus is saying here. If you want to trust in me, be ready for opposition. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to believe in me, if you're going to surrender your life to me, be ready for opposition. Be ready for persecution. He says this, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. The world hated Jesus, and it put Jesus to death. And so why should any of his followers expect to have anything different in their lives? We need to be ready. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be ready to face persecution. 
But despite this real health warning from Jesus, millions of people throughout history have, this, have still decided to surrender their lives to him and follow him, and millions still do. Millions uh, all the time reckon up that actually Jesus really is worth it. Despite the risks, despite the opposition, Jesus really is worth it. It's estimated that 20,000 people every day in China put their faith and trust in Jesus and become believers and followers of him. And that's in a country where it's often very dangerous to become a Christian. And so Jesus is saying that if we're going to believe in him and follow him, we need to be prepared to be persecuted. We need to be prepared to be persecuted if we love Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised if we find ourselves facing opposition and persecution for believing in Jesus. In actual fact, for most of the history of the church, for the last 2,000 years, and for most believers in the world this morning, persecution and opposition is normal. Our experience this morning of being able to rock up here on a Sunday without any hassle with the police or opposition or persecution, this is abnormal. This is not normal across the world today, and it's not normal throughout church history. We live in a, actually an abnormal situation. For most believers around the world today, it is a very different situation. So if you're considering this morning becoming a believer in Jesus and, and following him, you need to know that you might face persecution. You need to know that you might face opposition. Jesus wants you to know that, and he wants you to be prepared for that. And he says this, they will treat you this way because of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus' name is another way of kind of referring to all that Jesus is, his character, and all that, all that he is and all that he does. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. That's why Jesus was given that name at his birth, because he'd come to be our Savior. Jesus means the Lord saves. Jesus came from heaven. He loved us so much. He came from heaven to earth. He became a real human being. And 33 or so years later, he died on a cross and took the punishment for all the wrong things that you have done and all the wrong things that I have done. And if we put our faith and trust in Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us there on the cross, and if we surrender our lives to him, the Bible says that we can have our sins forgiven, we can be made right with God, we can have a perfect relationship with God, and we can have eternal life. The name Christ means God's chosen king. Jesus Christ literally means the Savior who is the king. When we say Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ, that's really what we're saying. The Savior, the one who has come to save us, who is God's king. Jesus was preparing the disciples specifically for persecution in their situation at the hands of the Jewish authorities, people who claim to know God, claim to serve God. But Jesus was saying that when people persecute Christians, by their very actions, what they're demonstrating is they don't really know God at all, even if they think they do, that they've not surrendered to Jesus as their Lord and King, and so he's not their Savior. He's not Jesus Christ to them. And as a result, they don't have a relationship with God, even though they might be very, very religious. Being religious is no guarantee of, being, of having a relationship with God. Throughout the history of the church, all sorts of really religious people have persecuted believers in Jesus. And that's because religion isn't the same as having a relationship with God. In fact, Jesus hated religion. A person can be very religious, but religion can't deal with the thing that separates you and me from God, which is our sin. Religion can't do that. The only thing, the only person that can do that is Jesus. If we're going to have our sins forgiven and removed so that we can really know God, not just know about Him, but actually know Him in a personal way and have a real relationship with Him, then we need to surrender our lives to Jesus and worship Him as our King, as Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning if you know God, not just know about Him, but do you this morning know Him? 
Do you have that personal relationship with him? Is he your savior? Is he your king? Do you know God through the person of Jesus? Jesus was preparing his disciples for the persecution that they would face after he died, after he'd risen from the dead and after he ascended back to heaven. And despite the fact that Jesus had performed all kinds of miracles in the presence of the Jews and the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders still rejected him. In fact, they passionately hated him. And as Jesus is actually speaking these very words, there's a whole group of them just coming on their way to arrest Jesus, to have him put to death. They passionately hated him. They despised Jesus. They thought they had some kind of hotline to God because of their religion, kind of special relationship. But Jesus made it clear that because they hated him, they were actually guilty of hating God himself. You know, God would judge every single human being on the basis of how they've reacted to Jesus. One day, Jesus will come again, the Bible says, and he will judge the living and the dead, and he will judge each person according to how they've reacted to Jesus himself. And so Jesus says to his disciples, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. He didn't want the persecution they were about to face to catch them by surprise. Don't be surprised, he says. I'm warning you, this is real, this is going to happen. I'm telling you this so that you won't go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue, he says. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And that's exactly what happened to these disciples and to then the the early believers in Jesus when the church began to be formed after Jesus had returned to heaven. They were cut off from their families, they were cut off from their communities, they were thrown out of their synagogues, and many of them were actually put to death. Many of them were executed, and many of them were crucified for their faith and their their love of Jesus. Despite thinking that they were serving God, these, these Jewish leaders were actually showing how much they hated God, because they were actually persecuting people who loved Jesus, and Jesus himself was God come as a human being. Jesus says this, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. One of the Jewish leaders at this time was a, was a guy called Saul. And he hated Jesus and he hated Christians with a passion. In fact, it would have been difficult to find someone alive at that point in history who hated Jesus more than Saul did and hated Christians more than he did. So much so that not long after Jesus had returned to heaven, Paul was in charge of a band of guys who took stones, and they stoned a guy called Stephen, who was a believer in Jesus. They stoned him to death. And, Paul, and Saul stood there approving of this and kind of cheering them on. And after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, Saul got permission from the Jewish authorities in, uh, in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and to round up all the, all the believers in Jesus there, and to take them off to prison with a view to putting them to death. But on his way to Damascus, Saul, this, this, this nasty, horrible, murdering guy, encountered the risen Lord Jesus in a vision. This is what Saul said happened to him. You can read this in the Bible. This is Saul's own account. He said, about noon as I came to Damascus, or as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Saul, the hater of Jesus, the hater of Christians, much to his outrage, much to his shock, encountered the risen Lord Jesus. 
And the brightness of light of Jesus shining from heaven caused Saul to go blind until three days later, having surrendered his life to Jesus and acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, was the Christ, was God's chosen king and was actually God come as a human being, he received his sight back and then he was baptized as a symbol of showing that as he went under the water that his old life had died and as he came back up out of the water demonstrating that he was now living a new life, a life of living for Jesus. Saul changed his name to, to Paul. He was Saul and he changed his name to Paul. Saul the murderer became Paul the man who loved and served Jesus. And he ended up writing most of the New Testament of the Bible. What a turnaround. What an amazing turnaround. A man who hated Jesus with a passion ended up writing more about Jesus probably than anybody else in history. What Jesus had told his disciples to be prepared for dramatically happened. And those early believers in Jesus faced all kinds of persecution, including murder. But one of the chief persecutors himself, Saul, had this miraculous encounter with the risen Jesus, and it totally turned his world upside down. So much so that Paul himself became one of those most persecuted. He traveled all over the Roman Empire, preaching and teaching about Jesus. And as a result, he experienced terrible things. In fact, if you go to different parts of what was the Roman Empire today, you can find places where Paul preached, and you can see plaques. The Apostle Paul preached here. He was whipped here, and so on and so forth. We're going to Cyprus in a few weeks' time, Claire and I on holiday, and there's a place in Cyprus, a stake where Saul was tied there, and there's a big plaque which tells you that's where Saul was beaten because he loved Jesus. You can travel all over Europe and find these places this morning. Looking back on his life in later years, this is what he says in the Bible. He says, I have faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I face danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. You might wonder if Paul thought Jesus was really worth it. Was Jesus worth all of this? Was it worth doing this? Why on earth would Paul go through all of those terrible experiences? And they're just the ones he lists. Well, like the disciples that Jesus warned the night before Jesus was crucified, Paul met Jesus and he found the indescribable joy of knowing Jesus, a joy that is difficult to describe until you've experienced it yourself. In fact, he said this on another occasion. He said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul was a top guy in Judaism. Paul had his whole life ahead of him. He had it all. He had it made. And he says, I've lost everything. and I've lost everything for the sake of Jesus. But knowing Jesus is worth it. Knowing Him is worth it all. Because of Jesus, Saul, who became Paul, had had his sins forgiven. He was right with God, and now he had an eternal relationship with him. So was Jesus worth it? Was all the suffering that Paul went through, was it really worth it? Was knowing Jesus worth all of the horrendous things that he had to suffer? 
According to Paul, Jesus was most definitely worth it. If we believe in Jesus and if we love him and follow him, then we need to be prepared for opposition and persecution. Not everybody will oppose us or persecute us, but on the whole, that will be the normal experience for most Christians to some degree or other. And my personal opinion is that it's only going to get much harder and much worse in this country in the years ahead for Christians to live their faith out. Not everybody will oppose us, not everybody will persecute us, but on the whole, that will be the normal experience for Christians. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth the mockery at school or at uni? Is he worth the exclusion in the office? Is he worth the awkwardness in the family? Is he worth suffering physical persecution for? Is he worth going to a labor camp for? Is Jesus worth dying for? Just last month in Manipur, in India, 58 believers in Jesus and a church just like this were, were killed as their church building was burnt to the ground. And dozens of church buildings were burned and thousands of Christians have had to flee their homes. This was just about two weeks ago. A few years ago, I had the privilege of visiting some believers in Jesus in India and I had to meet them in secret. Because having trusted in Jesus and begun to live for him and follow him, they had experienced terrible persecution from their own family members, from their neighbors. This is a picture of them, a small group of Christians. And we met with them in secret because it was so dangerous for them and for us. And yet they told me that they wouldn't change a thing. They told me that their love for Jesus was stronger than ever and that Jesus was most definitely worth it. They were determined to, more than ever, to tell other people about Jesus, even if it cost them their lives. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus really worth it? Well, He loved us so much that He went and died on a cross for you and for me. Jesus flung His arms open and said, this is how much I love you, as He received nails into His hands. And as He hung there on the cross... Far beyond the physical punishment, he received the punishment from the Father, God the Father in heaven, who poured out all his wrath for your sin and my sin on Jesus, on his Son. And Jesus willingly went to do that for you and for me, so that we could have our sins, the very thing that gets in the way of us and God, we could have those sins forgiven and taken away. And then through faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we could be made right with God and have an eternal relationship with him. And God then will consider us as being as righteous and as perfect and as holy as Jesus. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Paul thought so. I think so. I'll leave it up to you to decide for yourself. Facing opposition and sometimes persecution is a frightening thing. None of us really know how we'll react, do we, until... We find ourselves in a situation where the police knock at the door and burst in and we get arrested. That might happen in this country in the years ahead. It's happening to Christians all over the world right now as we speak. It's normal for them. None of us know how we will react. And if we had to face that on our own, I think most of us would just simply give up and kind of crumb, sort of crumple under the pressure. But the great thing is, according to Jesus, that we don't have to face that terror. We don't have to face that threat on our own or alone. Because when Jesus returned to heaven after dying and rising again, he then sent the Holy Spirit to live and be with and live in every single person who trusts in Jesus. 
As Jesus prepared his disciples for the persecution that would follow, this is what he said, When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit or the Spirit of truth, the person that Jesus calls the counselor, the helper, was sent by Jesus after he'd risen from heaven, from dead and gone to heaven. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus... The Holy Spirit then comes and lives within us and changes us and makes us new people and gives us that indescribable joy of having a relationship with God through Jesus. And he then gives us the help and the strength that we need to face a hostile world, a supernatural inner strength to face all kinds of problems and challenges, even persecution. The only way the people that I met in India could face the persecution that they were experiencing was because the Holy Spirit was living within them. It didn't make any sense otherwise. Why on earth would you do that? The Holy Spirit is also not only working in our lives if we've trusted in Jesus, but he's also working in the lives of people around us so that people like Saul who become Paul, they go from rejecting Jesus to actually accepting Jesus. And the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is at work right now in people in our workplaces or in our families, speaking to them, working in their hearts, working in partnership with us as we then tell them about Jesus and witness and testify for Jesus. So it's not all down to us to have to tell other people about Jesus. And I find that a huge weight off my shoulders. It's not just down to my abilities, my strengths, The Holy Spirit is at work in my heart, but he's also working in people's lives around us this morning who don't yet know Jesus. And this morning, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, then it might be that he's at work in your heart this morning, speaking to you, prompting you, nudging you, testifying about Jesus to you. And if that's the case, then can I encourage you to do what Saul, who became Paul, did on the road to Damascus and surrender your life to Jesus? If you are a believer in Jesus this morning, if you're following him like Rob and Sarah, then you need to be prepared. We all need to be prepared for opposition and persecution. This isn't just something that happens to people in faraway lands. It is real, and we need to be prepared for it, especially if we do what Jesus said to his first disciples. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The more we speak about Jesus... And live the way that he wants us to, the more opposition and persecution we're likely to face. The great thing is that we're not on our own. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, and he's working with us so that it's not all down to us. If we're going to be obedient to Jesus, then we need to get busy testifying about Jesus, telling people about him. But we don't have to do that on our own, because the Holy Spirit lives within us and is working with us so that it doesn't depend on us. And that's great news, isn't it? That takes a weight off our shoulders. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus really worth it? That is a question this morning that only you can answer. I can't answer that for you. I know he's worth it for me. I hope I will stand firm if I ever face persecution. But I thank God for people I've met who can testify Jesus really is worth it. And they've been through persecution and been imprisoned for the, gro- for the cross and for the gospel. Is Jesus worth it? Is he really worth it? Let's just take a few moments to pause and reflect. Maybe if you're comfortable, just just close your eyes and just think about what we've heard this morning, what we've seen, what we've witnessed, what we've looked at from the Bible. And just reflect on the words of Jesus himself. And if God is speaking to you this morning, wherever you're at in your life, whatever that might look like for you, 
Can I encourage you to do business with God, to engage with Him this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and lived the perfect life and died a substitute death there for us on the cross. Thank you for taking the punishment for our sins so that we can have forgiveness and we can be made right with you and we can have eternal life. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you that many of us this morning can say that like the Apostle Paul, we have discovered that Jesus really is worth it. We pray for those around the world this morning who are facing real persecution, for those who are in prison right now, those who are being tortured and put to death, even as we speak, for the, for the sake of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you give them strength, we pray? Help us to have strength, to face whatever opposition or persecution we face or might face in the future. Lord, I pray for every single one of us here this morning that we would all surrender to Jesus as our King, worship Him, and be able to say that Jesus really is worth it, that everything we once held dear, everything we once thought was important, we've counted loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. We worship you this morning. We give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen.